Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Molka Sports. You can find them online at molkasports.com. A great guest lined up for you today. Really one of the smartest athletes out there, business people. Paul Rabel, widely considered the best-known lacrosse player in the world. He's the co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League. He's the host of the Suiting Up podcast. He's had some amazing guests on his show. We'll talk about his podcast being the co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, which is doing really well and growing quickly, and uh, just the sport of lacrosse and and how it's growing. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation with Paul Rabel coming up. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good, and it's fun to talk a different sport. You know, we don't talk lacrosse a bunch, and I know it's a growing uh, sport with children and kids and, you know, even young adults and and beyond that. So it's cool to have the Premier League growing and, and getting steam with Peacock TV. It's great. Yeah, and from all accounts, the fastest growing sport in college sports. So, you know, really growing. And it's one of those sports, you know, you kind of buy low and and watch it grow. Obviously, if you're going to buy into the NFL or the NBA, you're paying a premium to get into those leagues. Some of these other leagues and, you know, I would say women's sports as well. The W, the NWSL, you've seen how well that's done. Um, You know, it's good to get in low and Paul has a really great business mind. He and his brother are the co-founders of the premier lacrosse league. And obviously as an elite athlete and someone who's played lacrosse for many years, you know, I think sitting in that seat, he's pretty well versed at what the league needs because he's been an elite player for many years. All right, let's look at some headlines, really uh, some groundbreaking news this week. The Supreme court unanimously ruled on Monday that the NCAA cannot bar relatively modest payments to student-athletes in a decision that questioned the association's monopoly power at a time when the business model of college sports is under increasing pressure. This ruling allows schools to provide their athletes with unlimited compensation as long as it's connected to their education. The Supreme Court vote, 9 to nothing. And Griggs, according to Ruling Sports, the NCAA spent nearly $73 million in legal fees in the last fiscal year. So you spend $73 million and you lose by a 9 nothing vote to the Supreme Court. Ouch. Big time ouch. And like we've talked about in so much of this whole story, 
with the NCAA is the lawyers are the ones that win. I mean, that is an insane amount of money and this is still ongoing and that's not the end of it, obviously. So man, that's the, that's the gig to be, I guess, as a lawyer with the NCAA right now. No kidding. Uh, this really sums it up. So, you know, there's nine Supreme Court justices. Brett Kavanaugh says the NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student athletes in innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. He also said nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing to not pay their workers a fair market rate on their theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. The NCAA is not above the law. So, you know, look, we've talked about this on this show for a long time. This was a long time coming. And now, you know, NIL is going to roll right into this. So six states have passed NIL legislation. I would expect every state eventually to pass NIL legislation. Um, Schools can now give unlimited benefits tied to education. So is that computers? Is it internships with Google and Apple and Facebook? Um, You know, there's a lot of things that open up here. And then, you know, obviously... Will the NCAA finally draft NIL legislation and make it more uniform instead of state by state? So that's what's going to be interesting to watch next. But, you know, the Supreme Court voted nine to nothing this week in favor of the student athletes, essentially. And uh, it's a groundbreaking ruling. Yeah, big time. And like you said, I think it's state by state. It's going to start slow. This is a long process, but I do agree with you. I think that we're going to see all the states eventually get this in and then it's going to it's going to force the NCAA to make that move. And, uh, you know, finally, we're making that stride to get these uh, student athletes what they need. We'll do more on NIL and this ruling uh, in the coming weeks on Sports Business Radio because it's such a big topic and it's one that we've talked about for 17 years on this show. I mean, this has been a long conversation and the tides are changing. So our next headline, I know this is a a global show, so a lot of people may not care about uh, the Portland Trailblazers, even though Griggs and I are based in Portland, but a decision could be made this week that really shifts the landscape uh, and is history-making. The Trailblazers could be the first team amongst the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, or NHL team to hire a woman as their head coach. Uh, Becky Hammond is a finalist for the Portland Trailblazers head coaching job. She has been the San Antonio Spurs assistant coach for the last seven years. And, you know, she's been under Greg Popovich. She uh, was an accomplished player as a WNBA player. She's got a great resume and I think would make a great head coach for the Blazers or any other team when she eventually gets to sit in that seat. Um, It's a complicated situation, though. People may not know. Paul Allen, the longtime owner of the Blazers, passed away in 2018. And his teams, the Seattle Seahawks and the Portland Trailblazers, were left to his estate. The estate and the caretaker is Jody Allen. So Jody Allen is the chair of the Seahawks and the Blazers. Obviously, a decision like this in the past, the buck would have stopped with Paul Allen. Now it's more complicated. There's more voices in the room. Really, on the basketball ops side of things, Neil Olshay, the president of basketball operations, has been the one who makes most of the decisions when it comes to the roster and decisions like this. But I'm sure, as my sources tell me, that Jody Allen is going to want to have a say in this. 
And my sources tell me that Jody Allen wants to be a true trailblazer and she wants the Blazers to be the first team in U.S. pro sports history to hire a woman as head coach of one of the four major sports leagues. So it's going to be interesting, Griggs, to see who gets their way on this decision. And most people who have reached out to me on Twitter this week have said, oh, gosh, this is easy. Jody Allen is at the top of the food chain. She's the chair. She'll make the decision. And if it's her decision, it's going to be Becky Hammond. Well, Neil O'Shea knows Chauncey Billups well. He is also a finalist and an accomplished player, the uh, NBA Finals MVP in 2014. Anytime you make a decision like this, it's usually collaborative. Yes, the decision usually falls to the owner, but Jody Allen's not really the owner here. She's the caretaker of the Blazers. She didn't come to all the Blazer games for all those years that Paul Allen was coming. And, you know, if Paul Allen was still alive, she would have no involvement with the Trailblazers or the Seahawks. So it's a lot more complex than just, oh, give the owner or the chair what she wants, in this case, Jody Allen, because she does try and listen to her top lieutenants, uh, who are Neil O'Shea on the basketball side and Chris McGowan on the business side. And, you know, this is a big decision too, Griggs, because, you know, if you're going to be the first in anything, it really is culture changing. The players need to be on board with this. And, you know, your front office needs to be on board with this. And this makes international news. This isn't just you're hiring another man coach. You're hiring the first woman head coach in the four major pro sports leagues. So there's a lot of thought and consideration that goes into it. But my sources tell me if the decision is Jody Allen's, it's going to be Becky Hammond. And again, that would be historic. Big time. And uh, I think, like you said, she's got a resume that goes on. I mean, think about coaching under Popovich for seven years. He's one of the best Hall of Fame coach for sure. And this is the fun side about sports business because there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, a normal fan doesn't see. You don't see that on SportsCenter. And this is the fun where you're like, there's so many people involved in these big decisions. It's not just something you can make a choice and somebody says, hire them. So uh, very interesting to see how this is going to turn out and uh, come out. But I think uh, Becky would be a great choice. Well, and by the way, I've said this before, if you've listened to this show for a long time, I used to work for the Trailblazers. I have pretty good sources, so I'm not going to name my sources if some have asked me to do this week, but I have pretty good sources. So, you know, I do feel like the Blazers are going to make a decision soon on their coach. There's six job openings. So the other factor here, Griggs, is that if you want your person, and in this case, if the Blazers do in fact want Becky Hammond, or even Chauncey Billups, they're interviewing for multiple job openings. So if you identify this is your person, you better grab your person quickly, or it's like the game of musical chairs. You're left without a chair at the end of the music. And you don't want to be that team who's now on your third, fourth, or fifth choice because you didn't act quickly enough to go out and grab your top choice. So the other thing with this too is there is a chance that one of these other openings could be filled by a woman. So now they make history first. And you're like, oh, a week or two later, now you've hired the second or third woman head coach. Um, and I'm not sure that's going to happen, but I, I think there is some timing that is involved here too. And uh, I think the Trailblazers are aware of that. So, you know, if there's ever been a time where a team name 
could be put to real life application, the trailblazers, they would be blazing a trail for women head coaches for not only the NBA, but potentially the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, uh, you know, and other leagues. So uh, it could be a historic hiring and we'll keep our eyes on it. But that's what my intel is. And, you know, I told my tweets that I would try and go into it a little bit more on our show this week. All right. Last headline, Griggs, TNT's Nets box game seven overtime broadcast on Saturday was seen by 6.9 million viewers. That's a good number for that time slot and for the second round. And I don't know if you watched that game, but that was one of the best NBA games I've watched. Maybe the best NBA game I've watched this season. Absolutely. I mean, that was just an awesome game seven back and forth. Durant just put the team on his shoulders and tried as hard as he could to win that. And he's literally a half inch away from winning that game on that jump shot to put it in overtime. But uh, yeah, epic series, great series, fun game. And uh, the NBA has just been, it's been very watchable. I've enjoyed it this season. The final four, the Bucks versus the Hawks and the Clippers versus the Suns. And I will take this opportunity to tease next week's guest on Sports Business Radio. It's the Sports Business Radio virtual roadshow presented by Boingo and scheduled to join me, Mark Lazary, the co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. And I love their path ahead. I have all the respect in the world for the Atlanta Hawks, but you know, the Bucks have home court advantage, and I think the Bucks are, are really, you know, looking good to get to the finals and, and potentially win their first championship since 1971. So big conversation. Anytime you can have an NBA owner on this show, uh, it's always informative. Mark Lazary will be with us on next week's edition of Sports Business Radio. But coming up next, Paul Rabel is going to join us. I think you'll love this conversation. Just a really bright athlete, business person, podcast host. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. We've collaborated with our friends at Parish Project to create high-quality sports business radio clothing, including hoodies, long-sleeve t-shirts, and short-sleeve t-shirts. Each item comes in five different colors and a variety of sizes. These items are super comfortable, and you can wear them on Zoom calls, while working out, or when you're lounging around the house. Sports Business Radio has loyal listeners around the world. We'd love for you to post a picture rocking your Sports Business Radio gear. Tag us on Instagram or Twitter if you post. Get your official Sports Business Radio gear by going online to parishproject.com. That's parishproject.com. P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. My guest is Paul Rabel. He is widely considered the best-known lacrosse player in the world. He's the co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, host of the Suiting Up podcast. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Paul Rabel. Paul, welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me. You've had accomplished guests, so I'm humbled to be one of them. And I also like the intro uh, now going from best-known. I used to be best player. Uh, but now, now I'll take best known. <laughs> hey, come on. As we, as we age, uh, you know, right. maybe we're just time. best known. That's right. You and I have actually met briefly before. Uh, we met at the uh, Players Tech Summit in a couple years ago. Yep. In San Francisco. Uh, Andre Iguodala, Jalen Brown, yourself, and, and many others. Meg Whitman was just on with me uh, a couple of week, uh, weeks ago, and she was there. But 
Um, I want to start off by talking about your podcast, Suiting Up. I'm very impressed with your podcast. I'm thinking, Paul, I mean, I know you've got a lot going on, but your podcast is pretty darn good. You're, you're giving people like me who have been doing this for 17 years a run for my money. Um, I love the Bill Belichick podcast because you were able to get him to open up in a way that not many others are. I love the Steph Curry, Sue Bird, Venus Williams. But why did you start a podcast? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I appreciate the, uh, the compliment. It's uh, something that I hold dear to me is, is conversations with others and networking and, and to the degree that I was taught growing up, which is no outcome oriented outside of meeting someone, learning about them. And in the event where it makes sense, share some stories that you have that can be collaborative and uh, I've always been a ferocious audio consumer. It goes back to growing up with learning differences. I have auditory processing disorder, um, ADHD, and I was able to apply and get things throughout school like note takers and extra time on tests. And I accessed a program that very few know, but it's, it's the same software that we hear now with Siri for those who have iPhones is Kurzweil. So Kurzweil was the first audio software that would take reading material and then speak it back to you as a student. Um, so that's always how I've learned and processed. So during the, the podcast come up, I was, uh, I was a listener and loved it. And I think like most of the things I do in life, um, the combination of replication with a little bit of chemistry in there to, to make it my own. But I love listening to people like yourself and others interview and pay a lot of attention to skill and style. Um, a former business partner of mine at the time knew that I was building all these really interesting relationships in sports and business and liked audio as I did and said, hey, have you thought about just you know, recording these conversations? It'd be really valuable for people like myself and others that, that want to hear more. And on top of that, I think there's been this uh, benefit of having an athlete to athlete or athlete to coach like Bill Belichick conversation where some of the barriers, uh, you know, I think go down and there's a level of comfortability because of shared experiences. Um, you know, interview and journal interviewers and journalists are far more profound and experienced and sophisticated than me. But I think the benefit that I get is you know, I, I feel the pain a lot of times of these athletes and coaches, which enables them to share a little bit more. So that's why, and I pressed record for the first time in 2017, press pause in 2019 when we were building the PLL and then just relaunched my fourth season or my third season with, um, with suiting up podcasts and started with folks like Mark Cuban and Steph Curry, Sue Bird, Abby Wambach, and then even had my first politician and Cory Booker. Yeah, it's great. I highly recommend it to our audience. I'm interested in process. I just had Danica Patrick on. I've had Patrick McEnroe on. They host podcasts. I'm interested in process. What's your process like when you're preparing for an interview? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I'm very interested in process as well. We talk about process all the time in our business of the PLL, process for athletes and practicing and developing skill. I learned, and it's it's funny um, hearing one of your favorite shows is Bill because I think naturally Bill doesn't open up a lot about other things, but right. I cringe when I hear that show because that was my first ever recording of now like more than 80 or so. And uh, my style was very different then than it is now. Uh, one of the beauties about you know, flipping on a camera and recording 
blog style or turning on a mic and recording for audio is that there's a, it's a, an immediate feedback loop for us to learn and improve. And I've learned conversationally how to adjust, how to listen better, how to contribute fee on fewer occasions and things that, you know, you and I, you're like, you're doing this now, you're nodding to me and I feel good about where I'm going. Um, in a normal conversation that isn't being recorded, you may say, mm-hmm, or yeah, or like totally. And, uh, and that has the same impact on me positively as you nodding, but can sometimes be annoying to the listener. So that's an example of things that I picked up on early where I was going, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my interviewee may have enjoyed it, but the listeners didn't. So that's a tip. Process is, I used to do a ton of research and still do, it was very thorough. And I have an idea of my run of show and what I want to talk about. And it lives on a timeline, typically of the life of the interviewee. And I found early on that the best conversation flows organically and sprouts in so many different directions, a lot of them unforeseen. And I would find myself getting my talent back on the track in the place of the timeline that I had designed. And missing out on bigger opportunities that would have flowed have I, had I otherwise just let them go. So now what I do is I, I have the same research process and I'm supported by my chief of staff who I've worked with for over half a decade. And uh, from there, I do what's called a, a, a web of how the show could go. So I basically bubble out topics and subtopics and I have that in front of me and I still build that timeline, but inevitably my guest takes me in one direction and then I'm able to visually see where and when I want to come back to another topic that I find interesting that I think my audience might want to listen to. So it's, it's, a, it's a looser design of show. It's still very thorough in research. And then I give my guests the keys to take it where they want to. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think podcasts are more conversational than radio interviews or, or mainstream media interviews. They just kind of organically flow. But you're right. The prep takes time. But I think one of the things, like you said earlier, that really gives you an advantage is, you know, some of these athletes and coaches, you've got the credibility of being a world-class athlete yourself. So anytime you can talk to someone that you have a little bit of a relationship with, they're probably going to open up with you more than if they're talking to someone that they don't know at all. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, I, I, you mentioned it's, it's different. It's long form. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm long in the tooth. Like my media, my mainstream media hit that you referenced would have been over three and a half minutes ago. Right. <laughs> so, so <laughs> what's cool about these conversations that they cater towards people who, uh, who like to talk. Um, and, and I think sometimes in that form of audible processing and a guest that I had on this past show, has become you know, a, a friend of mine and is really successful in, in the business of, of sports entertainment and Paul Levesque, who's Triple H. He, and I've heard Terry Crews say this as well, and I identify with it, you, you process while you speak. And, you know, because a lot of these conversations, I, I don't know the questions you're going to ask me. And I'm thinking about it while I'm answering it. And we end up taking ourselves and the person we're talking to and the audience in so many different, I think, unique and sometimes special directions. And so that auditory processing is really good for podcasting. The other thing I feel like, and, and I feel like this when I listen to your podcast is whenever I'm interviewing someone, I learn from them, right? I, I feel like I have a cheat sheet. Um, 
And I feel when I listen to your podcast that, uh, you know, I, I'm learning from listening to your podcast as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I, I think the next level of where I want to go and we're looking at building out season four now for after when the PLL season ends, so we'll start recording this winter is, is having, you know, the ideal situation for us is that you block out a day and you have your guest in town, you go do a workout, you go have a meal. Um, sometimes you can record at different phases and then push them together. But that shared experience allows us to get to the depth of vulnerability. And that that's, that's one of the things like my favorite guests are the ones that aren't media trained necessarily. I'm sure they have media training, but are uh, self-aware enough to acknowledge their fears and failures. And that's where the utilities are. Um, and for those who don't want to go there, I understand too. Um, and, and so that that's where this long form medium can be really special is if we start hearing about the, the self doubt and the challenges that we all experience, whether you're, you know, top performing athlete or a-list actor or politician, like we, we all have those big mammoths of ego and fear and, and those things that haunt us every day, but also drive us. You've even got some good pipes for podcasting. I'll give you that too. And I listened, I was like, he, he's got a good voice for this too. So you've, <laughs> you've got, you've got the whole uh, deal going on. That's what I'm saying. I think after you're done playing, uh, this might be your calling. This has become the, the best advertising platform for my podcast, I think ever. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say that like anything I do, whether it's, co-founding this league, playing as an athlete podcast is I spent a lot of time drilling down on improvement. Yeah. And I remember early on, I listened to Howard Stern a lot and he's like the OG disc jockey. Yeah. And he has a lot of animosity towards podcasters or did for a time. And now, you know, his deal is so robust that you can listen to his shows through podcast platforms. But um, the level of increased technology and distribution has gone just in a skyrocketing direction compared to when terrestrial radio was the only option. And he still sits in front of his massive mixers and he cues in all the audio pops and the guests and um, his supporting co-hosts, Robin and such. So he's technical, but he also talked a lot about working the microphone. And I remember him saying, you know, if you really want to animate, pull back away from the mic. And if you want to have a closer, more intimate conversation, you can lower your pipes and get a little bit closer to the mic. So he works the mic really well. And those are always like things that you can learn from. So I can't help it. I'm obsessed with improvement. <laughs> That's good. That's probably why you're so successful in, in so many different things. So let's talk about Premier Lacrosse League. And sure. you co-founded this league with your brother, Mike. You play still. You wear a lot of different hats. How do you divide that time? Because if I look at the course of your day, I'm like, does this guy sleep at all? Or is he just running from one thing to the next? He's playing, he's a business person, he's hosting a podcast. You support your endorsers really well. Um, you're a busy dude. Yeah. Um, well, it's hard. It's seasonal. So right now is when it's actually at its hardest because we're in season. And now our game weekends stretch to five competitions and three days. So there's basically one day for travel and three days of work for a five-day work week for me. And I've got to do my recovery and training all in between and then get ready to practice and play. 
in season's nuts, but my co-founder and CEO and older brother of the PLL, Mike, is a superhero. Um, and in season, especially over the last couple of years, the first year, none of us really knew what we were doing and we were just all working 24 hours a day. This year, he, he really blocks and tackles for me and allows me to have a disproportionately high level of input in company-wide meetings throughout the week and special project meetings and OKR meetings with our executives because he knows that I have fewer moments with them in season. So it's basically like Paul interject and go as much as you can in season during these smaller times. Then the off season, I, I definitely slant more towards running the business than I do training. And, you know, it's, it, you just have to make decisions, right? Like I'm, I'm toward the end of my playing career. I'm 35. If we were building the league when I was 28, it would probably be a different process. Um, and then the last thing to answer your question is I do have a pretty ridiculous calendar and I'm obsessive with it. We use Google calendars and we share our calendars and we keep open transparency uh, with the company as part of our, our, just our executive tactics top down. Um, but I view anyone's in specific, especially my success on managing energy versus time. Um, and so if there is a call or something like what we had to do, uh, which was push the start of this podcast 30 minutes, it's so I could like actually have 10 to 20 minutes to like breathe and think and be ready. Um, managing energy is really important and sleep is a big part of that. So I do, um, you know, shut down uh, devices and and think about my sleep in a strategic way and and try to just be present for it. If I were you, I'd be out playing lacrosse, but I'd have like a little mental checklist. Like I would be having a hard time dividing the athlete from the business person, and I'd be like, okay, we need to fix this, and we need to change this, and this is working over here. Are you ever playing and you're like, your mind is thinking about how you can be improving the league as the co-founder, or are you able to just dial in and really just be an athlete for that time when you're, you're playing a match? Yeah, it, it's really hard. Um, the first year I was very bad at it because again, we were just building from scratch. None of us had, you know, run a pro sports league before or a pro team. Um, we had our ops crew from Spartan, uh, race and tough mutter. So we knew how to like put on big festival events and have a bunch of athletes in town. And, and that was where we pulled our talented ops leaders. And, um, and then now we, we have folks from the WWE and the NBA and the NFL that are adding a lot of expertise, but year one, yeah, my mind was going crazy. Um, and then last year we did our championship series in a bubble format. So that was like the most intense. And uh, I think this year, having gotten our first game behind us in training camp and some lessons from the prior two, is that I do my best to actually shut off work on the weekend. And it's a lot easier now because our team here is so talented and I walk out on the field and the LED boards are up and the crowd's there and our production crew has their checklist and I trust everyone at NBC to Ross Productions to our media and production crew I get a chance to be on those calls during the week. And then, yeah, part of being, a, I think, a good leader is is full, um, you know, undivided delegation and acceptance of that delegation to your team's success. I want to talk about the merger with uh, Major League Lacrosse for a moment. That was announced, I think, last December. Um, why merge? 
How did that come about? How's it working since you merged? Yeah, I, I mean, M&A is a, is a really challenging thing. It's complex. And when Mike and I first went on television on Bloomberg announcing the league on October 22nd, 2018, we were very clear in understanding that your core audience is lacrosse fans, lacrosse players. And the opportunity was one because professional lacrosse just hadn't emerged. And there were a lot of things technically and tactically that hadn't been done that we felt like could be to set us on path to be the next UFC or MLS. Um, but leading up to that, we wanted to articulate very clearly on air and through all the different mediums that were covering the launch of the PLL that our first attempt was to work with MLL by either acquiring them or figuring out some form of, of, of a merger to where we could work building off of their foundation. That just, it just didn't happen. And for a lot of reasons, nine out of 10 deals don't happen, um, even after terms are agreed to. So uh, we hadn't even gotten to, to terms. And I think in hindsight, if I were them, I probably would have played hardball too. Um, when you're an entrepreneur and you're in the bunker, like you're so convinced and you have capital that, that you've convinced as well, that you're going to pull this thing off exactly how you have it visioned. Um, but like objectively, it's like these two guys, one was a player, one was a serial entrepreneur. And they're like, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of energy and a lot of support, but what a gigantic task. Unlikely that they're going to pull it off at the level that sports fans want, right? Sports are not just entertainment. It's show business. It's theater. If people are going to pay at a minimum $25 to attend a ticket, in some cases, thousands of dollars for a suite, they expect a world-class performance on site, on screens, interaction with players, everything from parking to concessions to admission, like to the fan fest, to merchandise checkout. There's so much that goes in the building league. So in hindsight, I've probably been like, yeah, good luck, those guys give it a shot. We'll see what happens. Um, and after we, after we had a great first season and then we're the first pro sports league in North America to announce our bubble solution to COVID and talk about that, which landed us a spot on the today show. I think that they started going, all right, this is real and let's figure out a way to revisit this conversation. And that's what happened. It started as soon as the championship series ended. We had had a couple of conversations prior, but a deal took about six months to get done. And um, the benefit is there's unification. And when you are disrupting a marketplace and you're a startup league um, or a new league or a new sport that people are less familiar with, you need to have, in my opinion, all of your ducks in a row. It needs to be easily digested. It needs to be very clear what you're going after casual fans who aren't, a, or aren't like accustomed to lacrosse or brands or networks. There's not like, oh, there's another league. I'm confused. You need to eradicate all confusion. So that's number one. And then number two is once we have this merger done, it's much more easier for us to optimize for the most important thing in pro sports, which is getting the best talent on the field competing for a championship. So you're not competing over players, not competing over sponsorship deals. And you're just like, here it is. Here's the platform. Now we can focus on product. Yeah, that's great. And you guys just had an additional round of funding, right? And wasn't Robert Kraft one of the people involved in that? So anytime you have someone like Robert Kraft investing in your league, 
that's got to be really great for your credibility. Yeah, super validating. Uh, Mr. Kraft and the Kraft family are have, have been involved in lacrosse for the last decade. Um, they have hosted Final Fours, which is like part of our tour-based model strategy was what works in lacrosse. How many participants nationwide are there? How many fans are there? Does a team-based model work in respective cities and building stadiums from the ground up? Can we support that objectively? I still believe where we're at now, we made the right decision, which was no. Um, and a tour-based model, which is what you see in F1 and NASCAR and even the UFC, and what you see in the Final Four and NCAAs, whether it's basketball or football, or not, not football, sorry, but basketball, um, call it soccer, and then especially lacrosse, is that that's when the game is at its best when people when there's a, a supply demand curve that makes sense, people get to go to a premium stadium and watch all of the best teams compete at the highest level. Um, so that tour based model was unique to us at that stage. And when we were able to prove that out with early conversations with the crafts who had experience building the MLS, they were intrigued by the model, but saw it through our, our series B and, uh, and expressed interest in helping us go to the next level, which as we grow this game, I think there's a world where we flip back to a city-based model and we have individual owners and markets building these stadiums, but that's because of the ground game that we've created around attention to lacrosse now. Um, but beyond the crafts that have created the most valuable franchises in sports in the world, uh, Joe Tai, who is a founding investor, co-founder of Alibaba, owner of the Brooklyn Nets, grew up playing lacrosse when he immigrated to the U.S., uh, people like him, Arctos now that also came and led the round with the crafts, um, folks like Rain Ventures, CAA, Churning Group, Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment. Like these are the most sophisticated sports investors and sports operators in the world. And uh, Mike and I, again, have always had that, that theory that um, we certainly, we don't know a lot. And so if we can bring a lot of people in the room who can help us cover those blind spots, but not just cover them, but where we can learn and, and grow in those areas. That's what's going to make this thing succeed. The other big piece of credibility that you guys have is your deal with NBC and Peacock. Um, as we know, exposure is a big part of any sports league and to be able to have deals with them, that's got to give you a lot of credibility. And, and again, help spread the word of PLL and, and lacrosse in general. It was actually table stakes for us. Um, and that was a bet that Mike and I made back in like 2016, 17, when we were devising the plan. It was one of the things that MLL had missed, which was the former league. And not without effort, they just couldn't get a distribution partner solidly in place that was investing in production and distributing it on air. Lacrosse has had that problem at the professional level for as long as it's been around, which is over 20 years. Um, and so evidence would have suggested that we would have been able to get it, but we were pounding the pavement with all of the major networks, so called the big five. Um, and then even the streamers like Amazon, Facebook, and Google. And we were buzzing up a lot of, um, I think demand and peaked interest. And we had a few groups come in back in 2017, which rolled into 2018 before our announcement. And that was our, that was our anchor and our ability to not only raise capital, but also get the 180 players that we did to leave the MLL to come over to us, which is something that I haven't even really brought up on this show yet is 
you know, the Achilles heel or the opportunity that differs from the NBA or the NFL is about 95% of players playing professional lacrosse at the time are under one-year deals. Hmm. So we were able to come up with this plan and build it and turn the lights on overnight and have the best players in the world playing in our league. In other leagues with long-term staggered contracts, you just can't do that. And it all comes down to having the best players in the world. But that anchor was, you're going to be on NBC every week. And from that distribution, you can sell sponsorship revenue through spots and dots and in-game features. But the most important thing was you have product validation. And that's what emits all cord cutting and all the stuff. Like I tell people, remember, networks don't sell television sets. They, they own and operate. They license. They distribute content. And they're going where the viewer is now and they all have their streaming platforms, their streaming wars. But like what they have more than any other streamer or technology first company is this product validation that they can give that disproportionately benefits a nascent stage sport like lacrosse than it does call it football or basketball where they already have the product credibility nationwide for avid and casual sports fans. For us walking around being like, we're on NBC, people are like, oh, that's real. And so that was, uh, that was huge for us because we made the announcement with network in hand. It wasn't like Upstart League is going to try to rebuild professional lacrosse. It was Upstart League is rebuilding professional lacrosse and games are going to be on NBC. That was, that was gigantic. Another big thing in sports business right now is sports gambling. And you guys have a deal with DraftKings. And mm. I look at that, you know, I've mentioned all these pieces of PLL and the deals that you have and the round of funding. And, um, you know, it seems like the sky's the limit for you guys, but how does getting a deal done with DraftKings and engaging those sports gamblers out there? And, um, you know, that's gotta be great for you guys too. Yeah. And it was a process that we actually were able to expedite during COVID during the pandemic, because when the pandemic hit, all sports shut down. And sports betting is no secret. It's a massive driver that's only going to continue to grow in the US. And it's been huge for a century overseas. But there's a ton of governance, especially related to integrity and approval processes that have to be done at the national level and state and local, prior to even talking about a DraftKings or another what we call authorized gaming operators, these AGOs. So they won't even sniff a property if we're not approved at the state and national level from a governance legislation from a integrity standpoint. So our integrity partner is Genius Sports. It's, it's pretty complex to go through this. And I mentioned the pandemic because there's a long line of and a lot of waiting that has to take place for a new sport to come in and get the approval and then meet with the AGOs that are still so excited to drive a ton of value to their companies through the NBA, the NFL, and, and the big four call it. So when all of those go on hold, we get open access phone lines to the appropriate people to expedite that process for approval. Professional lacrosse had never hosted betting lines. So that was a huge moment when you talk about silver linings of things that are really bad um, that we saw as an opportunity, like while all sports are on pause, let's go, 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 go. Um, and we were able to get that process done, which is typically like three, four years with like seasons of historical stats and evidence so that you could have your odds makers set lines. Um, so we resourced it. Our special projects team dominated and got us into a place where 
um, we had all the approvals in place and we were able to start meeting with authorized gaming operators and DraftKings was most interested in lacrosse and we cut a deal with them in 2020 then renewed it here in 2021. But I view sports betting really as, as advantageous in two ways. One, there's, there's, there's revenue tied to it, which we all kind of see out of the gates, but two, and most importantly, is it, it has this trickle down effect to drive viewership because people are betting on a game, they're more likely to watch it. Um, there is uh, additional opportunity for us to cover the game from an analysis standpoint and a content standpoint throughout the week in pre and postmortem of games. And that becomes sellable assets across social. So while the leagues don't touch the purse, right, that's just from the gaming operators and the integrity partners and then the consumers, we get to benefit from increased eyeballs and attention and, uh, and be able to tell unique stories through analysis on what the AGOs like DraftKings are doing when they set odds and even get towards live odds in game. Paul, from everything I read, lacrosse is one of the fastest growing sports in college sports in America. I, don't, I know you probably don't have the numbers like right in front of you, but you're probably more well-versed on this than the average person. What is the growth of lacrosse? I probably should have started with this at the beginning of the interview, but um, from everything I've seen, it's just on this upward trajectory that's been going for about the last five or six years. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a couple of numbers. So two and a half million participants, we think 10 million fans um, that's backed by SFIA data um, and uh, which is sporting fitness industry and association um, as well as us lacrosse, which is our national governing body. Um, and then some of our own proprietary analysis, because what we've seen in youth sports are a couple of downward trends. Sports specialization uh, is one that, I think it's certainly uptick since I was growing up playing sports in the nineties where uh, playing multiple sports. And I still encourage this was incredibly valuable from skill and motor skill development, but also uh, building relationships with teammates in different locker rooms and integrating with different coaches and just staying active throughout the year. Sports specialization has taken over, which means like a kid just plays one sport at an early age all the way through high school, vying for a recruiting opportunity in college, playing professionally because sports have become so enterprised in their value. So I, I get why. Um, but if you think about it holistically, if a, if a single kid is playing one sport or fewer sports, then total participation across sports will naturally be down even if the same amount of kids nationwide are interested in sports, you know, I would contribute to three sports when I was younger. Now I am only contributing to one. So that's like the math. When I think about one of the factors of, of a decrease in sport participation across the board, then you layer on technology, the mobile phone, e-gaming and other interests like that. Sports have uh, at a participatory level have gone down. Sports can benefit us in so many different ways and shouldn't just be playing to be on a fast track to getting recruited to play in high school, college. It, we talked about chemistry and, and team building and character building, but it's a great opportunity to like just be integrated in the community and, and things of that nature. Um, talk about fight against obesity and just being active. So um, I think lacrosse with its kind of long tail interest and uptick from a participation standpoint is a great position 
um, as we drive attention at the league level to increase sport participation at the youth level. And we have a PLL Academy that, that's working with not only club, but rec operators across the country. We don't run our own club teams. We want to enhance the existing ones that are in place um, and things of that nature. So um, uh, we could probably dedicate a whole podcast to, yes. to youth sports, but we we definitely have a role in it and want to and want to continue to grow our role. Yeah, I had John Smoltz on uh, a few months ago. He's big against the specialization of sports. He actually, his Hall of Fame induction speech, I don't know if you ever watched it, but he dedicated probably five to six minutes to talking about how he benefited from playing multiple sports. And he's mm-hmm. really against playing just one. So, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the athletes that I talk to say the same thing. And, but, there are coaches out there now that are saying like, if you want to play lacrosse, you want to play football, you want to play basketball, golf, whatever, you got to dedicate yourself to that year round. And I personally think it's a mistake. I'm a parent as well. Um, but there are those out there that are, that are doing it. Yeah. I think much like any conversation we have across sports, business, lifestyle, relationships, politics, the, the best conversations are are trying to be empathetic towards both views and objectives. Uh, I think I understand why without trying to slant and be negative, why club coaches are pushing parents and kids to sports specialize. The, the logic is that if you're going to play lacrosse year round, against a call it competitor that's vying for a position on the high school team or recruited to college, you're going to be practicing more. You're going to acquire skill faster and you are going to be better at an earlier age when recruiting starts getting flipped on and more likely to then be recruited. So I understand that the long game of multiple sport participation though, is you develop different motor skills and much better interpersonal skills as an athlete that carries myself, John Smoltz and other professionals and hall of famers that look back at their ceiling compared to others who were sports specialized. You know, one of my teammates in college was the best, you know, middle school and early high school lacrosse player in the country and hit a ceiling because he only played lacrosse. When I got better in college and professionally, I was tapping into my basketball skills, my soccer skills, uh, track and field. And I was able to add that to my lacrosse game. And those are things that if you, if you take a bet on yourself, that's a long game. And, and I, I'm convinced that that's more advantageous than playing the short game. And as the NCAA continues to legislate on early recruiting, it's going to encourage more multiple sport participation. Because that whole, I'm going to acquire skill faster by the time I'm 16 doesn't matter if you can't get recruited until you're 17 or 18. Yeah. I think you and I could talk for hours, but I know we're going to wrap this up. Um, I want to end on this. Uh, your founding and work with the Rabel Foundation. You alluded yeah. earlier in our interview that you uh, have learning differences. I know your foundation is helping children with learning differences. Tell us about that work. Obviously, you know, if you've experienced this yourself, it's near and dear to your heart. But, you know, I know there's some people out there that may not be familiar with your foundation and the work that you're doing. Yeah. So I I started the Rabel Foundation in 2011 when I had reached a place where I had been playing professionally for three years, 
giving back to the community has always been really important to me. It's something that we did when we were younger. My dad would take us to food drives um, and we'd support community um, in, in different ways uh, through fundraisers and car washes and things like that. So I was contributing for my first few years with a number of lacrosse nonprofits. But I reached a point where I had kind of back-to-back MVPs in a championship and I was early on social, like very early. So I had built this audience that was interested in things I was doing. I felt like I could give back to something that was really important to me, um, which was helping children with learning differences like myself and other members of my family through the avenue of sport and scholarship. So that's what the Rabel Foundation does. And we work specifically with kids who struggle with dyslexia and schools that specialize in educating kids with dyslexia. Um, And then a lot of those specialty programs don't have access to funding for after school, extracurricular programs in sports like lacrosse. So we have fundraised and started lacrosse programs at schools across the country. And we have an ongoing annual scholarship that that offers micro grants to kids who otherwise don't have access to attending schools that can specialize in helping them on a faster track or a better track per their learning style. Um, And that goes all the way up to the legislative level around public schools and what they're able to dedicate to funding to different types of learning differences. A lot of times they don't designate specific learning differences. And what they do is they lump all different learning differences into one classroom. And so families, this is where financial aid comes in. If they find that their daughter or son isn't in a conducive learning environment in their public school, they have to apply for a scholarship for that private school that can specialize. So that's a little bit into that. On the lacrosse side with the PLL, we uh, have an arm called PLL Assist where we work with a number of different groups um, around barriers like health and fitness to uh, access to sport because an equipment sport like lacrosse, much like hockey and golf, is expensive to play because you just can't step on a field with you know shoes, shirt, and shorts. Um, you have to get a helmet and pads and things. So uh, we help lower that barrier through our PLL assist arm and, um, and working with a lot of other nonprofits in lacrosse across the country. Paul Rabel, host of the Suiting Up podcast. You can find it on podcast platforms everywhere. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Paul Rabel. I've enjoyed this. I've wanted to have this conversation for a while. I was happy that your, your people reached out. Uh, like I said, I've, I've kind of watched you from afar for a while you're an impressive dude. Uh, you know, you're, you're out there playing, you're a business guy. You've opened a lot of doors with relationships, uh, that I'm sure sports is open, but, uh, keep up the great work and let's stay in touch. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. And, and for those that are listening, um, we'd love for you to follow the PLL, our Instagram's at PLL, our Twitter's at premier lacrosse. You can go to premierlacrosseleague.com and our games are, are going on now. So you caught me in season games. All games are on Peacock premium. And then half of our games are on NBC Sports and NBC. So we'd love for you to watch and check out our schedule. And if you're in a market and you want to attend, uh, it's very reasonable from a ticket price standpoint. So thanks again. Yeah, I, I want to attend. So, and, and I'll be watching on NBC and Peacock. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports 
Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.